Hello and welcome back in to the My Wheelhouse Basketball Podcast on the We Got Balls Podcast Network. I am your host, Shanks McNamara, joined today, Monday, May 23rd, after quite the hiatus, by my dear friends and co-hosts, Steve Trudeau and Al Biddy's Natola. Gentlemen, what's kicking? Doing fantastic. I don't even know if I remember how to do this thing. It's going to be real weird today. Uh, you know, I'll get back into the swing of things and, and send a huge congratulations to AC Milan for winning the Scudetto. Uh, yes. Very, very, very hard fought. Congrats to them. Wish it was Napoli's, but uh, got to tip the cap where it's due. Yikes. Um, I'm happy that I have even less time for soccer. Uh, I did not miss that whatsoever. Um, we're in the thick of the NBA playoffs. We have two series conference finals. We are 30 minutes away from the tip-off of the Celtics Heat Game 4. Before we touch on that series, I think we should just briefly discuss what is likely going to be closing out tomorrow night on the Western Conference Finals between the Dallas Mavericks and the Golden State Warriors, of which the Warriors currently are up three games to O after a victory in Dallas last night. Um Coming into the series, I actually picked Dallas. Um, I was very swayed by their performances against both the Utah Jazz and more specifically the Phoenix Suns, where they upset the Suns in an absolute shellacking in the seventh game. It's been a while since we talked, so I I think the last time we recorded was before the playoffs even started. So um, coming into the series, Biddy's, was your expectations very different from what you've seen? And maybe like what's been the most like standout point from this Western Conference Finals so far? Um, I mean, just that entire second half of the uh, game two, watching Golden State come back, it was just that was the opportunity for Dallas to to have a hand in the series. They were up fourteen at the half. I uh, I had a bet on the game where I had. It was multiple legs to it. And it was like Dallas plus 12 and a half. I was getting nervous. Uh, or I was I was down on myself for for not being more confident in Dallas. And by the end of the game, I was I was thanking thanking the good Lord that I had all 12 and a half of those points. It, it swung so quickly, and that was their opportunity to to have control over the series. Um, Warriors were my pick coming into the playoffs to to come out of the West. And uh and yeah, so I, I had the Warriors uh, going into it, but I did not think it was going to be a sweep. I, I can, st- I, I still think that Dallas will at least avoid the full sweep. And uh, gentlemen, get a little gentleman. Get a, get a gentleman. gentleman. Yeah, gentlemanly. It's. Uh, I feel bad. Um, the reason that I was so high, and I think at playoff start, I also had the Warriors making it to the finals. And I just kind of flip-flopped <clears throat> based off of the performance that I've seen from the role players on both teams leading into the Western Conference Finals matchup. And I think that that's been the biggest storyline for me um, of this 3-0 predicament that Dallas is in, um, especially in the Phoenix series. They were able to separate themselves purely based on the outstanding play of Dorian Finney-Smith, of uh, Maxi Kleber, of Reggie Bullock, and then of the secondary roles that were played individually by both um, Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie at times. 
but what's changed now is those first three guys or four guys that I've mentioned that depend on Luca for their offense just can't hit the side of a barn. Um, we saw in game three that Kleber and Bullock, they combined for what, oh, of 16 or something like that. And these were guys that previously in the playoffs, I think Kleber had an eight three-pointer game. Um, and, and it's not that his looks have changed in terms of the shots that he's getting. The diet in terms of their shot chart is still looking pretty nice if you just look in terms of uh, percentage of shots that are, are guarded, uh, percentage of shots that are open are considered by shot quality or whatever uh, you want to look at. But it's just it's it's a, been a mis, naked misleague, and they've got the brunt of it where maybe I was bested by the opposite end of the spectrum watching in Phoenix where these guys uh, couldn't miss. But if you look at just just like the heat maps for both teams, I mean, I mean, Golden State is all green, and the only thing that's green for Dallas is like around the hoop. Um, Steve, I don't know if you watched a ton of it. Um, are you just thinking about the framework of like the discussion of Luca being like the the young the young pup that's coming to the scene? He's getting a lot of attention as probably a top five guy. How do you think a possible sweep, which whether it happens or it doesn't, maybe they lose in five. Does that impact how he's viewed league-wide moving forward? And from what you've seen so far, what have you thought of Luca's performance in the Western Conference Final? I mean, Luca's been great all playoffs, so I really can't hate on him too much. I don't think that people will look at Luca differently because I think the general public look at looks at this roster and they don't see like that superstar next to him like if you look at the flip side of this in golden state we all know steph curry draymond green clay thompson and then obviously jordan Poole's joined the party and wiggins and you look at the mavericks and you got dorian finney smith so i don't think the public's going to hate on luca i think the general consensus is like he has no help and i think that he's proven that he can carry a team in this playoffs which is a good thing but going forward you know you have some pieces that you can build around but obviously, they need to do a lot more work in the offseason to help him out. I don't think you can't fault Luca too much for this the predicament they're in right now. I am curious, though. Like, I've heard this week, at least, some criticism of Luca in that he doesn't really make, so quote-unquote, like the players around him better. Like, if you think of like a LeBron-type guy, he's more of a facilitator. He makes players around him better. But Luca's kind of like a Kobe mentality. I'm going to get mine and like attack, 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 get buckets. And I don't know if you agree with that that philosophy or what's been thrown around there, like on the mainstream like sports talk. Nah, I think I think Luca is, is very LeBron like, except for on the defensive end, which um, is is showing up here. But it's just like he just doesn't have the guys to play with. He's still making a lot of plays for those guys, finding open shooters. And I think in hindsight, it's like. We're just going to look at it as more of, yeah, Luca beat Phoenix because he's Luca and, and Phoenix imploded a little bit. But, but then when they came to Golden State, Golden State just has the pedigree. They're a deeper team than Dallas is. Um, and I think Phoenix just like, I don't know, I think there's a whole Phoenix story of like an implosion that happened there, Chris Paul curse, whatever that helped Dallas get over that hump, but it's almost uh, almost a case of LeBron 07 just around earlier where it's like 
Luca carried the team a little bit, but then when they ran into the big boys, they kind of got stopped out. Yeah, I, I think the discourse of it being he has no help is like a little incorrect. And I think it's just because these guys that, as I said earlier, were red hot coming into the series are all of a sudden ice cold. I, I agree that Luca, he doesn't have a legitimate number two, but I think what he's proving is he can facilitate an offense off unto himself a la LeBron in 2007 or at any point in his career, basically, that if he's just surrounded by good shooting and above average defense, that can make the long haul as long as the, his teammates do the job. So we're seeing his teammates not do their job and they're failing to complete the good offense that Luca is facilitating. And that's why they're falling short. But I mean, if you look at Luca himself, he's doing like, 34, 8, eight and 5, and he should easily be averaging 9, 10, 11 assists a game in this series. And if it was based on the previous series, that's kind of what bore out statistically. Uh, what is a little weird is if you look into on-off data, which has all types of noise, and depending on what when you're looking at it, it can be incredibly incorrect. But they've actually been a positive with Luca off the court. Um, that, that's a that's a framework that has often followed guys like DeMar DeRozan through their career. And uh, I, I think that speaks more to uh, Jalen Brunson and Dinwiddie in this series and their ability to keep afloat on offense against a Warriors now, also, uh, second lineup. Who, yeah, who are, who are Luka's minutes matching up against? Right. You're getting the, the top guys. The best yeah. of the best. And, and, and just like if you did this series like gym class style of, of picking players, like obviously – um, I mean, I would pick Luca. I mean, number one based on talent, I might go Steph with the pedigree. But if you're just picking like guys, how many of like top seven, eight, nine, ten players in this series are, are on Golden State? It's just a lot better of a team. Um, and Golden State looked a little shaky against Memphis, which mm-hmm. was somewhat unexpected. But Memphis was Memphis is really good though. Like well, we gotta Memphis give them credit. Bit, yeah, members look a little bit shaky against Minnesota, though. So it's just kind of been like weird calibrations. I don't know. It was just a, it just like an odd Western, yeah, playoffs. I'm shocked on, by the Suns. On, on the East, like it's almost like you expected you expected the big battles in the East, and just like you knew that Buck Celtics was going to be a good one. The Celtics happened to come out. Heat Sixers like might have turned out differently if Embiid didn't get hurt, um, but just like you knew that like that one versus four was going to be a solid matchup. Um, whereas like in the West, it's just kind of been a weird, weird series of events, and, and even go back to Dallas's first series where Luca was out, and of course Utah blew it because they're Utah. Yeah, and I think that's why it's when I said in the beginning this this series specifically has been a story about the other guys. I think you can say that as a microcosm for the playoffs as a whole. I mean, we've seen some of the best games ever played from Kevin Looney. Those are probably his two best games he's ever played in his career in terms of game one and game two. And going back to the Memphis series, those are some of his better games up to that point as well. Obviously, Andrew Wiggins was the storyline out of game three, his monster dunk over Luka, but also the consistent decent defensive effort that he was putting in, making Luka's life, I mean, Lucas still had 30-something, 40 or whatever, but you could tell that he's making him work for it, and, and his defensive effort is legitimate, and he's filling his role very, very admirably and very, very well, fitting in, hitting shots, playing more strong defense. You spoke on Jordan Poole being the spark plug third splash brother. 
Um, these guys, I mean, Otto Porter has been awesome in, in the minutes that they've had from him. We've seen spot minutes from Moses Moody where he's looked great. Um, Kaminga hasn't really sparked in this series, but he's had moments in the earlier series that they played. So I think, I think each series, and especially this one, I think the storyline bears out that it's support pieces from both rosters are what is reflecting in the 3-0 uh, shakeout. And I probably would. I think that the Dallas has to have a game where they just they shoot 60%. I mean, they, they yeah. had a bunch of them in the previous series. That game hasn't really happened yet. I, I think it's got to it's gotta happen tomorrow. Um, but it's, I mean, no so, teams ever come back from 3-0. I think everyone knows that it's going to be Warriors in the finals. And it, it should be interesting to discuss yeah. uh, who their opponent could be on the other side. Do you think that the Warriors are going to have their way with whoever their their opponent is, or do you think that they're they are beatable because they look pretty like unstoppable at this moment? I mean, the, the Warriors are beatable, like especially, and I hate to say it, a Celtics fan, but just like if they're going up against uh, Miami, like, the, and, and we're going to get into this more when we talk yeah. about this series, but just like the Warriors, kind of for their entire run, have been. A little careless with the ball, like ball security has Miami never would been there. Feast on that, and we see what Miami's doing yeah. in Boston. That's how they won two games. Was two incredible stretches of just taking the ball away from the other team. Um, so, so I don't, I don't think against my like. I think Miami has a recipe that could really frustrate uh, Golden State. And I think the Celtics. Like if we are doing that that gym class guy for guy, like I think the Celtics are pretty even talent wise with Golden State. It's it's really, I think that, I mean before this series, I thought that the most consistent and strongest team coming into the Western Conference and Eastern Conference Finals was the Boston Celtics, and I think that we saw a lot of spotty and a lot of inconsistent play, especially offensively from the Warriors where lineups earlier in the playoffs where they have that pool party lineup, that lineup fell off the face of a cliff in the Memphis series, and they really, really were running into a wall. We still really haven't seen positive impact clay. I mean, he shows up possession to possession, but in the entirety of a game, he's probably been one of their weaker uh, lead players. So I don't want to be colored too blindly by a performance that – they're really making out very, very well from other teams, not making shots that they've been making all playoffs. But where I think that they do benefit in a matchup for whoever they're going to play in the other round is that it's clear they're probably going to clean up either four games or five games. And I think that we can tell that the Miami Celtics series is probably going to go at least six, maybe seven. And especially if it is Boston that ends up coming out, they're going to be coming off of two arduous hard, intense series back-to-back, and they're going to be wiped out. We're seeing the bodies that are being called out of games, that are missing games, that are that are being out of the game halfway through a game in terms of Jimmy Butler and other guys. And I think that those injuries and just the miles that's being put on these players could shake out at the end of the road versus a team with the Warriors that has already made that distance. They, they know what comes into the marathon of being there at the end. The Boston Celtics have an awesome – playoff resume in the last six years, but they, they haven't yet reached the pinnacle of getting to the NBA finals. So that's not an experience that check mark that they have on their map, but, but let's, let's, let's jump to that side. I think this series has been incredibly interesting 
And I don't want to, I'm not going to discredit the Miami Heat because they've obviously played very, very well. They've capitalized when they need to capitalize and they've played way, way harder but. And consistently than the Boston Celtics. But to me, the series is, is all about Boston. It's all about Boston. Of course. Of it's, course. It's, when Boston's winning, it's because they're playing well. And when it's losing, it's because they're shooting themselves in the foot. I hate this. And- no, I hate I hate this talk completely because whenever <laughs> the, the Celtics do bad, it's because the Celtics are making mistakes. Not that Miami's really good. Not it that is. Miami's really no, good. No, Miami is really good. And they're doing a good job at capitalizing on Boston making errors. But Boston is making uncharacteristic cruddy turnovers they're crumbling under pressure of physical contact yes and that's again I'm, 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 that's miami like I'm though part, yes i know that's good like the miami's doing a good job like miami so far has played they, they've played well uh in terms of how they're supposed to be playing i i just think that more minutes than not boston has outplayed miami it's just that their lows have been so so gross and so ugly and miami has obliterated them in those moment moments i mean the very popular headline is 10 of 12 quarters, Boston has won. I understand that. It doesn't matter. It's it's about winning games, not winning quarters. I'm not trying to use that as like a morale lifter. I'm trying to use it as a, a headlining topic to discuss that for the large part of the basketball that has been played in these three games, Boston has outplayed Miami. So it's if if Jalen Brown isn't dribbling it off his foot and handing the ball off to Victor Oladipo, like Oladipo is the running back on his football team, if, if Jason Tatum isn't – passing the ball, a chest pass, like he's doing a passing drill with Jimmy Butler and just giving the ball. If their closeouts aren't getting sloppy in in a, the third quarter of game uh, one or in the first quarter because they're lazy and they think that they've won something over the team after blowing them out in Miami, I just think we've seen how the Celtics play when they play to their average and to their, to their positive side, and it's clearly superior to the Miami Heat. And we've seen how they play. They play terrible, and Miami's great at taking I mean, advantage of it. Biddy, I know, Biddy, I know you want to get in, but just really quick, like, like if your excuse is that the Celtics at times have mental lapses and they don't play like to their their you know pinnacle at all times, then they're not a championship team. It's a hard stop because you can't maybe, have that mentality maybe. and expect to win a championship. Like I no, agree and, that the Celtics are by far probably a ta- more talented team, but the Miami Heat are a team that is so tenacious that they were going to grind forty-eight minutes, and they're like a shark. As soon as they sense that blood in the water, and the team across them starts to like slip up a little bit, they're going pedal to the metal. They are attacking, and to me, like yes, there are initial mistakes that put Boston in a bad situation. But once Miami realizes that Boston starts slipping. They attack, 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 attack. And that's that's credit to Miami Heat, not just shitting on the Boston Celtics. No, and, and I mean Miami, Miami deserves credit because they they do make it happen. So Steve, I'm I'm with you in in giving Miami credit. I'll also say like the Celtics were just down two to one. And as a as a Celtics fan, just so often going through this Miami series, I'm just like well, at least they don't have Giannis. Like, I feel like the Celtics have passed the harder tests already. I picked the Celtics in six going into the series. I am going to stick with that prediction and say the Celtics are going to win the next three because I think that Jason Tatum is the best player in the series and he's going to he's gonna rebound. He's going to take control of these games again. And um, 
And Steve, you got you got you. No, because he, another thing is like, yes, you've gotten past Giannis, and Giannis is by far the best player in the, the league. I will. I'm like, no one's debating this. But like, when it comes to players like Jason Tatum rebounding and having good games, right? The reason why he struggled last game is because they de- they schemed up a, de- a defense to make his life a living hell, and that's Coach Spo. Last round, you played Bud. Coach Bud, who before last year we all wanted NBA, to fire, we all wanted to fire him though. Before he won and Giannis carried him to a championship, we all wanted to fire him. Like this is a different animal in Miami. So to say, like, but to just but to not, but it's not a coach's league; it's a stars league, and that and that's the truth of how this game works. And just like Butler, if he's playing on a bad leg, I mean injuries are out the door because both teams are banged up. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say one team has an advantage. I'm not gonna say one team should be uh, looking forward to. Oh well, like when Marcus Smart comes back and the entire Celtics are on the floor, it'll be different. I'm just saying, like we've made it past Giannis. I don't think that the Miami team is much deeper than the Milwaukee team, even without Chris Middleton. So I feel like no, the Celtics but- have passed the harder test. And you know what? If the Celtics did take care of business, Steve, to your point, if they had the composure, then they would have won that series against Milwaukee 4-1, and they would be a lot healthier coming into this one. But they didn't. But they were down 2-1, and I I believe. Okay, but I understand it's not a coach's league. My my overall point is that Coach Bud, from Game 1 to Game 7, stuck with the same strategy defensively. We're going to clog the paint, give up all the threes in the world. He he is not an innovator as far as, like, changing things up. And... Yes, Jason Tatum had a bad game in Game 3. I expect him to rebound in Game 4. But they are going to keep throwing different looks and different things to fluster and, and irritate well, Tatum. Where, where was Coach Spo when the Celtics were kicking their asses up and down the floor Game 2? He just he didn't feel like winning that one? At, some point, at some point, you have to throw in the white towel. Like That, I that, mean, that was I, out of hand. I, I, don't, I, mean, I agree. Obviously, Spo is a million times over a superior coach than Bud, but his, his adjustments only go so far. The Celtics are still getting whatever shot they want in all three games. They're shooting fantastic from the three. It's because they're getting a lot of open looks when their offense is flowing the way it's supposed to be flowing, the way that it's, it's been flowing since the end of December. It's not, I think even, that it's, not even, it's not even flowing. It's like, can they actually start the offense? Right. And, and the other thing is the difference in the series in why I think the, the major X factors moving forward are Bam Adebayo and, and Rob Williams. And I, and I think that what we saw early in, in game one and in, in the successes that the Celtics have had throughout is that both Jalen and Tatum can get to the paint whenever they want. And whether they're finishing through contact or whether they're kicking to the perimeter, it it's it's they're generating such positive offense that it's motivating good shots across the board. And the effect that Rob has on that as the vertical threat under the hoop when the defense is collapsing on that star driver, whether it be Jalen or Tatum, getting to the paint is much, much more dynamic than either Horford or Grant or whatever it is that it sags defenders off our shooters in the corners and gives those guys that much more space. And if they don't sag off, it gives the best lob lob threat in the league space at the rim to be a potent finisher. And why Bam adversely is an X factor is games one and two, where the Bam we've seen throughout the playoffs, which was befuddling and and, uh, unusual and not the Bam we saw 
most of the regular season and not the BAM that we've seen in playoffs past, especially against the Boston Celtics, thinking back to most notably his bubble series where he abused the Celtics. So we've seen one game where both BAM and Rob play, and the the evidence was that it, it was looking pretty good for, for Rob in terms of how he was impacting the game, how he was restricting the Miami Heat's offense, and their attentiveness was clearly heightened even thinking about approaching the paint. So I'm going to be curious if this was a turning page, a turning point rather, in game three for Bam in terms of his newfound aggressiveness, in terms of his ability to imprint his game offensively. Uh, his grabbing and going was something that he should have been doing uh, all throughout in terms of pushing the tempo himself. I give I gave Kyle Lowry a lot of credit in terms of forcing the issue tempo-wise, and I think that bleeds over into Bam very, very well. So I'm very interested to see if in Game 4 and throughout the rest of the series, I don't know. if this expended effort maybe, this expended offensive aggression from Bam continues even with meeting what the dynamicism of Rob is on the other end of the floor. I think that matchup and how those two players impact their individual teams is going to be the storyline for how this series shakes out outside of just the Celtics not making mistakes. I think Bam's just shook, like just straight up, because he feasted on those in those first two games against Philly with no Embiid. And when Embiid came back, even Embiid like at 70% of himself, like he just was not aggressive. He was not looking to get a shot and attack the rim. When Time Lord's there, he's obviously scared of Time Lord as well, and he does not want to be aggressive, does not want to attack. As soon as Time Lord's out, all-star Bam's back. So, like, I just think there's something about him, like, mentally right now in the playoffs where he just is not being aggressive when he's matched up against a premier defender in the paint. And if Time Lord's going to be there the rest of the series, I'm worried that Bam's going to regress back to this, like, kind of tentative self that he's been the past, I don't know, four or five games. I think even I think even as best, like, he's a guy who wins you a game – He's a guy who wins you situational crunch time basketball, but Jimmy Butler is the guy who wins you the series. And, and so I feel like Bam, I feel like Bam is like, I know that it's so obvious to say, but just like, yeah, I think Jason Tatum and Jimmy Butler are the two X factors in the series. You go as far as your best guys take you. But they need Bam. A, they need Bam to I win the like series. Both, I feel like both teams have proven more so Miami than Boston, but both teams have proven that they can succeed and, and win out a game even without Jimmy or Tatum playing or playing well. And, and I, I just think that, to me, the Miami Heat have built an identity all season long of succeeding even without having guys. And what we saw from specifically last series against the Milwaukee Bucks in, in Boston's case is Boston was more adept and more capable of succeeding with guys out than Milwaukee was. And I think it speak, that's where it speaks a lot to, to Spoh's performance, his ability to get the best out of guys that are number eight, nine, ten on the bench who need to step up and be number five, six, seven in a, in a rotation with guys out. But I, I just think that the the secondary play of Bam, he needs to be able to support the Heat in a way offensively that it was clear how important it was and crucial it was when he had his 30-point outburst in game three. And it's almost like in game one, that seemed more uh, less reliable of, of a successful performance uh, in terms of a heat win than it did in in, in um, game three, where it was, Bam is playing well, 
the Celtics make mistakes, but this seems more repeatable almost because of how well Bam playing, even though Jimmy wasn't there for the entire second so, half. I mean, the game, like their offense, their, their half court offense did not look good in games one and two unless it was no. Butler scoring. And Butler right. scores hard earned points. Oh my then God. Bam stepping up was huge That's... for them. But that was a 25 point lead in game three that they were, they just kind of ended up beating Yo. the block on because it came down to six at the end. Like I know you guys were shitting on Tyler Hero earlier today. Our text text strength. Well, you whoa, weren't. Seamus, Seamus, I was. Seamus, Seamus literally said, Me. "Oh, it's too bad for the Celtics. Tyler Tyler Hero's missing because that would have helped him. The Celtics if I Tyler Hero was played. I but think no, that's a legitimate point. All right, let me just finish. So, like I think Biddy's made a great point. Is like when they get into half court sets, like it's Jimmy buckets. That's it. They got no one else has anything for them. And I understand Tyler Hero has been atrocious in this series but he is a guy at least that can go get you a bucket like even if he's struggling now there's always the chance that ne- like the next game is the game that he blows up for 25 30 points and snaps out of this because he's super talented and if he's not there and you have butler with like his knee inflammation i don't know if they if they if it comes down to the crunch time and they need to match tatum bucket for bucket i don't like it's just Butler, and he's hobbled right now, and it's it's a really bad look to be missing Tyler Hero at this moment. Right, that's what, what, I, what I said over text for, for the listeners was Hero came in, and he was the microwave in the first half of that game one, and without that, it might have it might have made it a, a too big of a gap for Miami to come back on. So I already think Hero has been huge to get Miami the 1-0 lead at home. If Boston wins first game in Miami, it, we're looking at a lot different of a series. So I feel like Hero has made the impact. Defensively, he's not a good player. He's never going to be a good player. He's skinny. Uh, and and he's also had a few calls go against him that were questionable as well. So that doesn't help. Uh, but he fouled, but, fouled with his chest. He fouled him with his chest. No, the, 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 the Jalen, the Jalen, he stripped Jalen clean yeah. and they called okay, it. And like Miami, that that saved Miami from you know growing their lead to like thirty. Uh, but but losing Hero, I mean, yeah, they just don't have guys who can create off the dribble. And now it's they're relying on Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry. I mean, they're in their thirties and they have hard hard miles on those bodies. I will say though, like I underestimated. I'm a big Gabe Vincent fan. And I'm, I underestimate. Wait, I want to talk about Hero before you jump to the other guys because I think talking about other people is. Good I was going to talk about Kyle Hero. Lowry, but go ahead. What you yeah. got? Here, so Hero had his outburst in Game One where he had 14 in the first half, and a lot of his buckets were from the mid range where the Celtics were yielding those shots to him because that's the shot diet that the Celtics give up. They restrict the three point line and they intimidate in the rim. They want to give up mid range shots, and even at that point, it's still a smothering defense that. You need to make tough jumpers. So he's been good for the mid-range. He's like shooting 50% from the mid-range, but he's one for 14 from the three in the series, and he is not going to the hoop. And it's because the Celtics defense is smothering him in all aspects and is beating him up to the point where he's either not even putting shots up or he's clearly out of rhythm. And then on the defensive end of the floor, he is getting abused. He's getting targeted. He is getting picked out by pick and roll ball handlers. And he's getting picked on by not just Tatum and not just Jalen Brown. He's getting picked on by Marcus Smart. He's getting picked on by Al Horford has driven by him and, and moved him out of the way. Peyton Pritchard has bodied him and scored on him in the post. Uh, P- saying Pritchard has out, outplayed him. 
saying Pritchard has outplayed Hero so far these three games is not a stretch at all. Pritchard has been more consistent, has been a more dependable offensive punch than Tyler Hero has been. So, I mean, uh, Butler, Butler took a lot of those 41 in game one to Pritchard. For sure, for sure. That, that's perfectly fine. But I'm just saying, in terms of looking at an outlook, um, for, for what makes me nervous as a Celtics team where I think they need to get going offensively. I, I think that's where the stress matters more in terms of what has gone wrong so far this series. It's limiting their mistakes offensively, and it's being able to capitalize on the weaknesses and the weak points of a Miami defense. And with Hero out, that means there's more Gabe Vincent and there's more Victor Oladipo, who Oladipo is all of a sudden, he looks like an all-NBA defender again. So th- those Hold looks on. defensively get suddenly way, way, way more dramatically difficult for the Boston Celtics, and you're going to see more strips from Oladipo on Jalen Brown, and you're going to see less body Tatum moves Tyler Hero out of the way on a switch. So offensively, Miami's offense is about the, the cohesiveness of the pieces fitting together and, and working as, as a, a flowing offense where Max Struess and, and now we're going to see more Duncan Robinson are going to be shooting more and, and Jimmy's going to have to do more bailout. But I don't, I don't think the storyline about hero being out is a big deal because I think it matters more about them being more adept defensively. I think that's what matters more about them having a better defensive lineup to handle that. I mean, Tyler Hero's head and shoulders better than Victor Oladipo. Like you're going to get more Depot yeah, minutes. He's better. He's better. He's better. But is is it a better fit against the Boston Celtics in this series? I don't. But he's him, but, but he's can give his opinion. Well, but we, they need buckets. We, we just like haven't gotten like a, a we haven't gotten like a an organically close game. We've no. had we've had the Celtics chip away at two huge leads, but it's like in a in an organically close game. I mean, it's been Duncan a bad Robinson, series. Duncan Robinson. Yeah, it has been. Duncan Robinson, I don't know, he doesn't like the new ball or the $90 million has gone to his head, but he is not a good shooter right now. No, no, no. He's broken. He's broken. They they have decided not to play him because he, number one, you want to talk about going after Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson can't card anyone. Biddies, you could drive past uh, Duncan Robinson right now. He's worse defender than Hero, for sure. And on top of that, mentally, he just doesn't have that confidence anymore. He just doesn't pull immediately. He's not the sharpshooter he once was. But I know you want to talk about other players just really quick. I did want to mention Kyle Lowry because I didn't think he was going to be, like, I, I didn't really, I underestimated his return because him being inserted back into the starting lineup, their pace of play in game three, like up and down the court is just night and day better. Like they push, push, push with Lowry. And I didn't really see that coming. And I'm curious. I know like we're, we're, we're looking at other injuries as far as like why the Celtics are down or yeah, down one, two or in the heater up. We talked about Bam maybe being a factor Jimmy Butler. I'm curious to see, how Kyle Lowry is going to change the complexion of this series. Because right now they're one and know with Kyle Lowry. You know, it's like silly to say a small sample size, but he could be a super big X factor that we're underestimating. He, I mean, the, I think, I mean, he looked, he looked uh, good at times during that, during that game three. Um, but I mean, also if you just like watch him moving around, he doesn't look great in terms of like, oh, this guy is like a really like, you know, again, he's, he's not Giannis. Like he's just like not moving around in a really fluid way. I don't know how Lowry's going to hold up playing every other night um, because just like watch him walk around. It's just like, he looks like an old guy and he's a small guard. He's always been, you know, a, a little bit, 
a little bit beefy. <laughs> and, and, and like his, his, you know, the statue that they're going to build for him in Toronto is him taking a charge. So like, he's just, he's not in, he's not in, um, in peak shape. So I don't know how he's going to hold up over the course of the series. Um, and, and if there might come a moment where it's like, Oh, like, yeah, he's actually going to stay in the locker room rather than just hang out on the bike. As right. Well. I mean, his impact on the Miami offense, as you said, Steve, is unquestionably really, really, really important for them moving forward. And they need to embody that play style moving forward because that's when they're most successful. Um, we see that in glimpses, even without Lowry, when they get out in transition on a fast break, most often when they're capitalizing on bad offensive plays from the Celtics or they're getting in passing lanes and making steals. Lowry has an ability to uh, infuse the Miami offense in a way that he can make it seem like there's a transition bucket, uh, a fast break off of a made free throw from Boston. And, that, and that's an impact that it, it, he doesn't have the Celtic, I mean, the, the Miami Heat don't have without him there. And we saw him go to the locker room in the first quarter of game three. Yes. And he's definitely out of shape. And I agree with you, Biddies. I, I, I would be nervous as a Miami fan, whether or not he could make the stretch run. If this series goes the distance, I, I don't see. And, and it's weird because he doesn't need to be a hundred percent himself. Um, in terms of a shot maker, in terms of a defender for, for Miami to be successful with him on the court. He, he just needs to play the right style and, and motivate uh, good play. But we've seen when he's at like 60%, 65%, how bad Miami can look yeah. in earlier series where it was obvious that Gabe Vincent was the choice over him and you needed to sit Lowry down. So that line where Lowry is no longer helping, we should sit him down. That, that could happen tonight in the first he quarter. He looks much and, better and, and now, it though. might be past his point. I don't know. He looks much better now than he was last he does, series. He does, he does look, look a lot better. I agree, but I, I just don't know how long that lasts. I don't trust his conditioning. I, I don't trust his his stamina. I don't I don't trust him. Uh, like, if the Miami Heat are to pre- prevail past the Celtics, I, I think he's going to be a liability in the NBA Finals. Like, yeah. there's just no way. Yeah, I think just in general, though, if you're the Miami Heat, like, you got to win one of these next two. Like, you can't lose the next two straight because – You've been just kind of hanging on by a thread. Get just get to Game Seven. Get to that Game Seven at home. I don't think they win tonight. They ha- they're going to have to win um, Game Five unless they're they're going to be a big trouble. But I know we want to get out of here soon because the Celtics game is starting in a few minutes. I kind of want to do something fun and have you guys predict like what is going to happen in this game coming up, so that when the listeners listen tomorrow, they can be like these guys are effing idiots <laughs> or like or like wow they just nailed that. Like give me some crazy right, details about exactly what's going to happen. Um, you know, my, my wonderfully, my wonderful fiance said that the Jays are going to combine for four turnovers down, wow. down from 13. So wow. if that four happens, turnovers. then uh, that's, a, that's a 30 point win, Biddies. That's a 30 point Harden's win. Harden's going to be rocking. So, uh, so I'll, 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 I'll pass along Michelle's four turnover prediction to, to you all, uh, me, myself, I think that the Celtics grind one out and the garden gets absolutely going on either a go ahead or a dagger bucket uh, from this, from this uh, obscure role player, number zero, Jason Tatum. Uh, I think he knocks one down in the final minute to, to send us home five point Celtics win. 
I'm I'm expecting like a big bounce back game from Tatum. We've seen him bounce back from terrible performances as early as last series against Milwaukee. I'm expecting a bounce back performance from him as Rob and Bam t- tip the ball in front of us. I want it to be a tight game throughout. Um, I, I think that of the Celtics, uh, they're more poised, and I'm leaning towards them having like a 10 point win. But because I want just a, a, a tight game, I'm going to go for an overtime victory where the wow. Celtics pull ahead and win by nine points in overtime. Um, Rob Williams is going to shut out Bam, and Derek White is going to struggle in the absence of Marcus Smart, even though he just hit the <laughs> to start. Derek, I, Derek White, first five points of the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Celtics overtime victory, they win by nine. That's what I'm going for. I five, feel like five points for Derek White, zero points for every other player right now. So you are dead on right now. Way to go, Seamus. You're crushing the predictions. I feel like I feel like I gotta go Celtics in this one just because of the situation uh, with Miami missing some players. I think I my 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 think takeaway is gonna be the story tomorrow is gonna be Al Horford versus Bam Adebayo. Al Horford's gonna bring it today. He's gonna put up 25 to 30 points and absolutely embarrass Bam Adebayo. He's gonna be the absolute hero. Jason Tatum hits the dagger at the end though to put the game away. It's gonna be close. I want Celtics by eight. Celtics by eight. Celtics by nine. Celtics by five. I love it. I'm looking for my. My Dominican Republic. Flag. It's seven zero right now, Celtics. Here by the go. way, Here Jesus we go. Christ! Al, Al, thirty piece on the way. Let's go, okay, Al. Let's, let's let's go, Celtics. Thanks for joining us in my wheelhouse. Please rate, review, enjoy the NBA playoffs. We'll talk to you guys soon. Adios.